Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. So we're going to talk about the fear of God. Now, um, the Bible tells us over and over, I was in looking at all the verses of Scripture, I looked at, you know, uh, a just a lot of verses of scripture on the fear of the Lord yesterday. And uh, it was just like a a bathing of it. I I had forgotten how much the Bible had to say about the fear of the Lord. But it says that we're to fear of the Lord. And then in in about a hundred plus locations in the Bible, it tells us not to fear. So what is it? The Bible tells us to have the fear of the Lord, even commands the fear of the Lord, and tells and gives blessings about the fear of the Lord. And then we're told over and over, a hundred plus times in the word, not to fear. So what is it? Because there, there cannot be a contradiction here. And so we're going to look and see what the fear of the Lord is. Earlier this year, we, uh, there was... Um, a message that we gave, and it was when fear isn't fun, and we looked at the subject of fear. Earlier, uh, even yet, it was the, the first day of this year, Tony and I were in Ohio, and uh, I stayed up and was just having some time with the Lord, and um, the Lord told me that this year is to be a no-fear year. We're to locate any kind of fear and eradicate it. So we don't want any fear, all right? So uh, fear isn't, a negative fear is not fun. So the very first thing that we're going to look where it comes to the fear of the Lord is then what the fear of the Lord is not, okay? Because sometimes we can get a better grip on what things are by seeing what they are what they're not, okay? The first thing is, the fear of the Lord is not a natural fear. Like the kind of fear that you would get uh, if you were to see a spider or if you were to see a snake, and some of you wouldn't have a fear about that anyway. You just think, whatever. But then some of you would be on, the, on top of furniture or, you know, screaming or something. And so the fear of the Lord is not a natural fear, the natural fear that a human has. Uh, Maybe a natural disaster or a, a bomb or whatever. It is not a natural fear. The second thing that the fear of the Lord is not is it is not a demonic fear. In 1 Timothy 1, 7, it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And as we said in that earlier message this year, fear can, can, it can be natural, can be a natural reaction that the body has hardwired into it for a fight or flight reaction. But, the, but fear is also a tool of the devil. And he enforces and oppresses people with oppressive fear. It's way beyond natural. And it says, God has not given us that spirit of fear. In 1 John 4, 17, it says that, the fe- that fear has torment. Fear has torment. So we can see this. If there is um, a demonic or even a natural type of a fear, it is not a pleasant thing. And it has torment. We also see from 1 John, the fourth chapter, that perfect love does what? It casts it out. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, another thing that the fear of the Lord is not, it's not a fear of man. Praise the name of the Lord. Proverbs, the 29th chapter and verse 25 says that fearing people is a dangerous trap. So you can be afraid about natural things. You can have an oppressive type of a fear. But if you're constantly wondering what somebody else is thinking and uh, you're always uh, gauging what you should do based upon what you think somebody else is thinking, um, it is bondage. And the Bible says it's a dangerous trap. 
but trusting the Lord means safety. Okay, what is a similarity then between these kinds of fear, these negative kinds of fear that we've been talking about, and the fear of the Lord? Is there anything similar between these kinds of fear? Well, listen to this. Whatever you fear, whatever you fear, you will respond to. Now, that is a natural fear, a demonic kind of a fear, or the fear of man, and then here way on the other side, the fear of God. Whatever you fear, you will respond to, okay? Whatever you continue to respond to will influence you. Whatever continues to influence you will control you, and whatever controls or dominates you is your God. Ah! That's kind of radical. Now, I'm not saying it, it is, you know, the God that you bow down and worship and, and you say, I love you, I love you, fear, or I love you, whatever it is like that. It's what you serve. It's what you give yourself and your attention to. It's what you give your actions and reactions to. Dominates you. So, we want to get today a grip on the fear of God because the fear of God has the ability to shatter and break any of the other kinds of fears that we've talked about. The fear of God can drive out natural fear. The fear of God can drive out a demonic kind of a fear. A fear of God, it absolutely upends um, intimidation and people-pleasing and always wondering what somebody else is thinking, okay? So the first thing in looking at the fear of, of God and a characteristic of the fear of God is the word awe or as we say in Australian, are. Do we say, yeah, oh, okay, okay, well, whatever it is. I've never gotten. Anyway, A-W-E. So, ah, you understand when I say ah, okay? Ah, I'm not at the doctor's going ah. Anyway, ah is a reaction to greatness, all right? Now, this particular, this particular reaction or response is a bit different than what we're, we, we talk about a lot, you know, when we know that God loves us, he's merciful, he's good, he's kind. The response that it comes from us is a love, an appreciation, a, a, a trust, an opening up to him, all right? Where awe comes in is as a response to knowing greatness, largeness, bigness, mightiness, all right? Awe comes from that. So, for instance, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to meet a famous person, uh, somebody that you think is really special, I remember one time in the Tulsa airport, and it's, I don't think that this man is so amazing or special to me, but he is a movie star. And uh, it's Nick Nolte. Okay, so is anybody like a real Nick Nolte person? Okay, we have one back here in the back. Whoa, yes. So Nick Nolte, yeah, so he's been in a lot of movies and stuff. I was, uh, Tony and I were in the, the Tulsa airport, and lo and behold, there was Nick Nolte. And uh, Tony didn't see him, I did. And I came back to tell Tony that Nick Nolte was there, and I, I couldn't, I said, it was stupid. I just got stupid with my mouth. I started stuttering, Nick Nolte. I don't even like him that much. <laughs> and I remember this other, it was in, in Christian music a long time ago, there was a woman that used to write a lot of songs, a lot of famous songs that we've loved. Her name is Dottie Rambo. 
and she had a daughter, has a daughter, and, um, and her name is Reba Rambo. Well, Reba has this amazing voice, you know, and as a little girl, I'd listen to Reba Rambo, and I just thought, dear, the pipes in that woman's throat are amazing. So I met her mother one day, and, um, and I, I was, I, you know, you, you, you just want to come up with something to say. So I had my, finally had my opportunity because there was quite a queue to get to her. And I got up to her and, and I, I wanted, I thought, well, I can ask her about Reba. And so I finally got up to the mother, Dottie Rambo, and I said, um, where is And she had to finish it. She said, Reba? I'm so embarrassed. I'm just thinking, what is that? I mean, they're just normal people. They weren't. She wasn't acting all high and mighty or anything. But, you know, uh, could be, for, for you, it would be a sports person or a, an amazing musical person. I was just with a, a young lady this last week, and, and Justin Bieber is, has been quite a person in her life that she has quite admired. And uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, that, that young man's fans, and they, they'll faint and cry and, and scream. And, and there's been times when he's actually wanted to engage in conversation, and they couldn't. They couldn't. All they could just go, ah! They couldn't even carry on a normal conversation because there's just too fame. Okay. What I'm trying to get the picture across is that's awe. <laughs> it's just overwhelmed with greatness. And so some people stutter, some people scream, some people cry, some people faint, some people just fall quiet, some people just, you know, whatever. But anyway, hands get sweaty. So when it comes to God, I've some, seen some people that were in complete awe of another human being the only thing they did when their mouth opened like was to yawn where it came to God. So I'm just being honest. So what's the deal? What's the deal? If there is not a reality of God, there won't be an awe factor. All right? Let me give you an example here. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. Let's get perspective here. Pharaoh Shmero, you know what? Who's Pharaoh? Okay, well, back in the day when, when Moses was raised in Pharaoh's hand as a um, house, uh, as a family member, uh, Pharaoh was the emperor of the greatest nation in the world at that time. Egypt was the world power, the furthest advanced in everything, in every area. And Pharaoh was known as, not just the emperor, he was known as, it, in the Egyptian world, as God. They believed him as a deity. Um, Moses was raised in that house, and he saw greatness up close. He saw that his, his father, the Pharaoh, only would have to just move his finger, and armies would move. All he would have to say is one word, and whole groups of people would go into motion to build massive things that we still, thousands of years later, buy massive tickets and, and make plans to go see and take selfies in front of pyramids and what have you. He was around that. There was no one greater than the one that he was in the house with. And then in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, in verse 10, if you look at this verse of scripture, 
Moses was talking, and this has happened, this is him talking years later. He said, never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai, where he told me, summon the people before me, and I will personally instruct them. Then they will learn to fear me as long as they live. Look at that. They'll learn to fear me. Now, we're not talking about those negative things. We're, it's like you get a clue to be like, you're big. Okay, we thought Pharaoh was big. This is like way up from Pharaoh. So he said that you'll learn to fear me as long as they live. And they will teach their children to fear me also. You came near and stood at the door of the mountain while flames from the mountain shot into the sky. The, mount, the mountain was shrouded in black clouds and deep darkness, and the Lord spoke to you from the heart of the fire. You heard the sound of his words, but you didn't see his form. There was only a voice. you got to get it. You know, because we have, guys, especially in this Western world, we've been so raised with... Um, with entertainment and multimedia and, and films and stuff, that everything is now filtered through special effects. Oh, that was great special effects. This was long before special effects. This was the real deal. They all came to this mountain, and the mountain had fire coming up out of it. There was, um, in another account, there was a trumpet blasting out of the mountain, there was darkness. There was a voice that came out of it. And um, later on in Hebrews, talking about this incident, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said that Moses actually trembled with fear. And the people, the people said, Moses, you go close, you go close and hear him and, and tell us what it is that he's saying. Okay, that's awe. That is awe. That's like, that's, that was the supreme wow factor that absolutely these, this group of people that had been raised in Egypt that had actually been the ones to help build the greatness of Egypt, talking about the Israelite people. When they stood in front of, of that Mount Sinai, <laughs> a few days after, they had seen a sea split and walked through on dry ground after they had seen the most amazing things of nature just because a man was in contact with an almighty God. Wow. They were like, so that's awe. It's like, there's a beautiful warmth and, you know, like a cuddly thing from the, the Abba part of God sweet father, good father, kind, but he's also God. He's also mighty. All right, so that gives that wow. Let's look at another word. It's reverence. Reverence, these are things and characteristics within uh, what the fear of the Lord is. Reverence is a response to a revelation of God. What is revelation? What is, a, what is a revelation of God? Or God just showing who he is. Okay? God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. You can't reach out and touch a spirit. Because we as humans live in a world that is all revolving around the five natural senses. We think that everything that there can be, it can be diminished where everything that can be in our consciousness is in this natural world. Oh, my lands, this is only minuscule to the immensity of the realm that God is in. He's God. But for God to reveal himself, because he's, he's omniscient, he knows everything, he can do everything, he's, he is God. But to reveal himself, what ends up happening... Whenever he does, what the response that comes to a person is immediately reverence. Not high fives. Not like, yeah, woo, good on you, God. 
There's, there's that wonderful sweetness and, and tenderness that we do share with the Lord and knowing that he loves us. I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, which is a different thing. It's awe, and then when God reveals himself, it's also, you also have reverence. What is that? What is that? Well, let's, let's get this <clears throat> from Revelation, the first chapter. When God revealed, when Jesus, the second person in, in the Trinity, revealed himself to John. Okay, John, John knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years, okay? He had seen Jesus do a lot of miracles. He, he was there when Jesus raised the little girl from the dead. He was there when Lazarus came out of the tomb. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. So it wasn't that John didn't know Jesus. John knew Jesus, <clears throat> and John loved Jesus, and John knew that Jesus loved him. But now Jesus is raised from the dead. He's gone up into heaven, and he has sat down at the right hand of, of, of the throne of God, and, and John has carried on life and carried on uh, you know, being an apostle, and he's known as the apostle of love, and they couldn't shut him up. They put him, you know, history, church history says that they tried to kill him. They put him in, a, in boiling oil to kill him. He did not die. They sent him then to an island called Patmos to get him away from any other people so that he could not influence them was something that is so influencing, and that is the love of God. They sent him to an island, and here it says, we'll start reading here, it says, and I am John, your brother. As a follower of Jesus, I am your partner in patiently enduring the suffering that comes to those who belong to his kingdom. I was put on the island of Patmos because I had proclaimed God's word and the truth that Jesus revealed. On the Lord's day, the Spirit took control of me, and I heard a loud voice that sounded like a trumpet speaking behind me. I turned around to see who was talking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands, and among them there was what looked like a human being, wearing a robe that reached to his feet, a gold belt around his chest. His hair was white as wool or as snow. His eyes blazed like fire. His feet shone like brass that had been refined and polished, and his voice sounded like a roaring waterfall. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. His face was as bright as the midday sun, and when I, fell, or when I saw him, I fell down at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now I am alive forever and ever. I have authority over death and the world of the dead. Okay, so this was an amazing occasion in the life of John, who had walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, had seen the miracles of Jesus, and on the, on the day of the Last Supper actually was the one that leaned in on Jesus and put his head on Jesus' shoulder. And there was this comfortableness because of, of John's revelation of the love of God for him. He knew Jesus loved him, and so he was comfortable with him. And yet, in this persona of Jesus, in seeing Jesus this way, his eyes like fire, in his face like the sun, he fell on his face like a dead man. That's reverence. You say, well, I don't know if I've ever had that. You would have that if you saw that. But whatever you see of him, what 
whatever is real to you about him commands reverence. Whatever is true that not just somebody says about him, but what you see about him, it's like, yes, true. That's reverence, all right? Let's look at another one, another characteristic, submission. That is something else that comes in the fear of the Lord. We're going to look at uh, another person, and this was Saul who turned Paul. Saul was a cocky guy, and he had reason to be. He was smart. He, uh, not all smart people are cocky and arrogant. Some people that are very smart are very benevolent and gentle and kind and, 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 and humble. But Paul was not so much that. He, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was very religious and very self-righteous. He was always right. He was well-respected. And um, he was killing Christians because he thought that he was right and they were wrong. So he was killing them. He was turning them out of their homes and uh, persecuting them. And he was on his way to Damascus to find some with letters to do the same thing there. It says in Acts, the ninth chapter in verse 3, let's look at this story. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now look at these next words that he says. Who are you? What's the next word? Who are you what? Lord. He knows in, in one moment that whoever is talking to him is Lord. Whoever he is, he's Lord. He's knocked him off his horse. There's been a light from heaven shining all around him. And this huge voice speaking to him. Saul said, ask, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Do you know what? From that experience, and Paul gave this testimony three times, from that experience on the road to, and this revelation of of God, of Jesus. When Saul saw who Jesus was, the impact of that showing of himself, that God showed himself to Saul, revealed himself to Saul, so changed him to his core. It changed his whole identity so much that he said, I'm crucified with Christ. I died. The day I saw him on that road to Damascus, everything that Saul ever was is gone, and he became a new man. He lived the rest of his life. Listen to this, because this characteristic is submission. He lived the rest of his life at the total beck and call of Jesus Christ. Whatever you say to me, I will do. Whatever. A lot of the books that he, he wrote, he identified himself, not just as a follower of Jesus Christ, not just a worshiper of Jesus Christ, a servant and even a slave. He said, I saw him. He spoke to me on that day, and in his voice to me, and in his presence to me, I am forever changed. I am his servant until I die. That's the fear of the Lord. When there isn't an understanding of who he is, 
Then there's the argument of, yeah, well, I don't really want to. Yeah, well, it's whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's really not my deal. <laughs> and had a, and had an encounter with him. And had an encounter with him. Any kind of an encounter with him changes you because it's an encounter with reality. And any other thing that could be arguable in your life is so diminished to ashes in a moment that it's not even worth discussing. The only thing that remains is him and his will. Because it's right, it's good, it's, it's God, it's, it's holy. I, you know, Terry Walker's here, and I, can't, I don't get your testimony exactly right, but I love that testimony. When in that room, when he'd, he had taken another, um, another hit of drugs, but he called on the name of the Lord, and a light came in his room, a light that absolutely radically changed him to the core drove drugs and the desire for the way of the the way of living that had just been a part of his life he'd never even thought about what he was doing except to keep doing it from day to day until he met Jesus and Terry doesn't belong to Terry Terry doesn't belong to anybody else Terry belongs to Jesus Christ Jesus Christ revealed himself to him. All right, so let's keep going. What happens in that revelation is it's this, you realize how <laughs> not just strong, but perfect he is. It becomes this desire to please. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I can't go through all the examples in the Bible, but it was a common common reaction, common response to humans when they had contact with God, they said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I am absolutely yours. Okay? So, of course, we know that Jesus modeled what a man looks like who completely fears the Lord. Isaiah, we won't take time to go there, but Isaiah, the 11th chapter in verse 1, there were seven things that Jesus was anointed with. Beautiful things that he was anointed with. The last in that list is he was anointed with the fear of the Lord. Where Jesus had complete comfort and he was, n he was not intimidated in the presence of his father. And when you have right standing, which we all have because Jesus got it for us, we have right standing with the Father. We, have, we can look at him without a sense of interior, inferiority or, or, or shame. But it still doesn't mean we are not impressed with who he is. He is very God. And it is amazing that we have been given the right and only in this covenant do we have the right to even approach him and somehow that sometimes that right to approach has become so diminished and so common that it's like yay God woo Good on you. Woo, yeah. He's God and that we can come boldly into his throne room. That we can come up into his throne. And we can, like John, lean into him and know that he won't cast us out. None of us, none of us deserved that none of us had any access to him before the blood of Jesus 
We take it for granted because it's just so free to us. Woo, just so free, just come boldly. Well, it was free to us, but it cost God the life of his son to make a red carpet of blood leading up to the throne. So, let's look at some of the promises for those that fear the Lord. And then we're going to, after that, we're going to look at what we can do to cultivate the fear of the Lord in our lives. All right? Let's look. Let's look at some of these. Now, I'm not giving you scripture references for any of these. These are just a compilation of all the verses of scripture I went through, and I tried to categorize them. We're going to go through them quickly because there's heaps. Person who fears the Lord, the fear of the Lord lengthens your life, is a fountain of life, helps you escape deadly traps, bringing security and protection. The fear of the Lord brings riches and wealth and honor. Your children will have a place of refuge and will be successful and fruitful and blessed. You'll be joyful. Goodness is stored up and, and, uh, for and lavished on a person who fears the Lord. You're safe from conspiracy and accusation. He's, he guards you from that. God watches over and saves a person from death who fears the Lord. Look at this next one. Unfailing love is towards uh, the God-fearing person. Is the tender and compassionate part of God grants the desires of uh, the person who fears the Lord. Uh, God hears the cries and rescues the God-fearing person, surrounds and defends them. God delights in a person who fears the Lord, gives food to and will have all they need. He gives warnings to people who fear him to escape from danger. And uh, special, there's special designated inheritance for people who fear the Lord, and there are rewards in the end, special rewards in the end for somebody who fears the Lord. But by far the most mentioned reward or benefit of somebody who fears the Lord is their access of God's brilliance, his wisdom. A person who fears the Lord doesn't have to be stupid on the earth. They can actually have access to divine wisdom. Colossians 2 and verse 3 you can write this down. It says this, in him, in him, Christ, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Say this, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Go to Isaiah 33 and verse 6. It says, he will be the sure foundation of your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Yeehaw, that God has all wisdom. If you can't get a hold of it, you'll still act far beneath what, what that wisdom would enable you to, to be able to walk in. You, the wisdom of God could raise you up to walk higher. But how do you get the wisdom? How do you get that? It says the fear of the Lord is the key to that wisdom. Look at verse, chapter uh, 25 of Psalms. Psalms 25 and verse 12. Let's just read this. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. You'll know choices. Know what to do. He'll show you what you should do. They will live in prosperity and their children will inherit the land. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. Wow. Sign me up for the fear of the Lord. Sign me up for that. I want to fear the Lord. It's not a bad thing like those first three that we talked about. The fear of the Lord does respond and react, though, however, to God. And it also positions you to receive from God. Now, so, how do I get started? How can, I get, how, how can we cultivate 
this fear of the Lord. Because uh, I didn't see a mountain that, was, that voices were coming out of and trumpets and fire was coming out of. I have never seen that to be able to have awe. <laughs> I, 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 haven't, I haven't had what John had. I haven't seen a vision of Jesus and his eyes were blazing with fire. Okay, I'm going to add that so I could have reverence. I haven't had, um, um, I haven't had like Saul, nothing knocked me off of my horse, forget horse, nothing knocked me off of my car or my motorcycle. <laughs> nothing just knocked me off my feet like a light shining out of heaven. I haven't had maybe those, all of those experiences. You think, well, how can I have the fear of the Lord? Do you remember the verse of scripture that we talked about first in, in, in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, where it says that the fear of the Lord can be taught. You can learn the fear of the Lord, and you can teach your children. One of the ways that uh, the fear of the Lord can be learned is, and you can put up the first one here, is through testimonies. By listening to testimonies from the Bible, that helps. If you put yourself into the, the, the life, if you get yourself into the feet of people that are in the Bible, that they're not just a story, but also testimonies of other people, feeding on, on the, their encounters with God, experiences. And I'm not just talking about you know, where they saw heaven open or whatever. Any encounter with the Lord. I've heard, I've heard people that are just coming to walk with the Lord and the very first words that they're hearing from the Lord, they'll tell, they'll say, I believe he's saying this, do you think that's God? As soon as I hear, I recognize him. Often it'll make me cry. I'm thinking, you're hearing God. Um, Isaiah, your son, accepting the Lord just here recently, this, just this last week, and, and Karen wrote about what he said about who's in his life. When I read that, Michael, when I read that, I thought, he knows him. He's had an encounter with him. Okay, maybe it wasn't an angel out of heaven, or maybe it wasn't, you know, a mountain that's, you know, like volcanic or something in the bedroom. Jesus was in there, though, and is real to Isaiah now. Ha! Huh. It's gorgeous. Feed on testimonies. The next thing to do is choose to respond to what you know about God. There are things that you have experienced in different times of your life, encounters. Maybe they weren't like these three men that we talked about today, but they've been some measure of an encounter that you've, you've had with the Lord. Adam brought it up today, something he had us close our eyes. Don't run away from those moments. Stop. Stop. Because in the remembering of things, you're cultivating the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we need, absolutely, spiritually speaking, we need a crane to elevate our attention from this world to him. Our eyes get so, so attached and locked into other people around us, their opinions, what people are saying. You know what? There is a God in heaven and we can be interested in what he's saying. And so what I, what I mean by is just choose, choose to respond to what you know about God. The third thing is worship. Worship. There's so many different things we can worship today. The songs that, that we were singing about Almighty Lord, help me. Redeemer, my Savior, God Almighty, it's like it got all my life. Jesus, you know. Slap yourself. <laughs> Slap the person standing beside you. Say, well, wait a second, he's God Almighty. Mighty God. His name is higher 
than any footballer. His name is higher than any sports person, any musician, any entertainer. He's God. Worship. The last thing is prayer. Let's look at this last, this, look, this last verse, Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight. Have you ever done that? You don't have to do it in front of people. And most of the crying out that I've done for insight has not been in front of people. But I have cried out. God, I want to know you. Cry out for insight. Cry out and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver and gold or silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. If you look for it, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be a Saul on the road to Damascus. You don't have to wait for an Isle of Patmos type of a thing where something comes out of heaven. You don't have to wait. You can actually pursue the fear of the Lord. You can ask for it. So I'd like us to stand on our feet today, and if the musicians would come, I'd like us just to pray this prayer. I won't have you close your eyes because then you won't be able to read the prayer that we put up here. But I'd like us to pray this prayer together. Dear Lord God, go ahead with your voice, loud enough for you to hear yourself. Dear Lord God, you are God who created heaven and earth. You are mighty and have all power. I want to have understanding of you and your ways. I want to see you for who you are. I choose your ways over mine. I respect you more than my friends. Any famous person, I'm more impressed with you than anyone in the whole world. You are my God, and I worship you. Praise the name of the Lord. I want us to sing a song in just a moment. But before we do, could you please bow your heads now and close your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we bow our heads. We close our eyes. We know you're real. Just because we cannot see you does not mean that you are not real. You are more real than anything that we can see. So we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, for every person who is here, for every person who has come today, and we thank you, Father. You said in your word that he who comes, he who comes to God must believe he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Father, if there is a person here that has come today that even though they are not a Christian, they don't see themselves yet as a Christian, but they know that they need a Savior. They know that their life is not right. They know that if they were to, to pass from this life, that things aren't square with God, and they want them to be square with God. Father, if there's someone here that knows that they cannot save themselves, that their works, good works, cannot save them, in the presence of a holy God, maybe in the, the sight of their friends, maybe they look good to other people at work, but in the eyes of Almighty God, they don't know how that's, how that's going. Father, I pray that every person before they leave here today would come to know absolutely that things are square between them and God and they would accept Jesus as their Savior. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in praying this prayer. 
If you have gotten impressed with all kind of other people around you and gotten very bored with God, but today you want to renew your consciousness that God is God and Jesus is your Lord. I want you to join in on this prayer as well and all of us pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. You are almighty, all-powerful, and it is so good and kind of you to save me. I didn't deserve it, but you chose me. You wanted me. And today, I respond to you, and I say yes to you. Have my life. I want you to have my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I look away from any other choice, any other person, any other thing, and I look at you and I say, be my Lord, be my God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.